seated. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of John. John's Gospel, chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one in the pew in front of you. John's Gospel is the fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 13. You know, many Christians today like to brand themselves as Christians. By that I mean they like to identify themselves publicly as Christians through things like wearing t-shirts that often have uh, cute sayings or logos that are adapted from pop culture to, re to reflect certain Christian themes and messages. Uh, Christians very often today love to put the traditional symbol for underground Christianity in the first century, the, the very simple fish on their cars or on t-shirts or on jewelry. We like to wear multicolored bracelets or uh, bands that have WWJD uh, on them. You can tell I don't wear one very often. Uh, many Christians love in various ways to mark themselves out as Christians like this, to literally brand themselves with the name of Christ. And I'm not going to say all that is bad. It's not my point. My point is simply to say that's what we like to do. But at the same time, we need to understand that, that though we should be identifying ourselves as Christians... That may not be the best way to do it. In fact, I will argue today that it is not the best way to do it because Jesus himself said that is not the best way to do it. Certainly, you may continue to, to wear those clothes and to have those things, to have the fish on your car, but in addition to those things, Jesus said the way the world will truly know you're my people, the way you will truly be identified as Christians is by how you love one another. It's by how you love one another. This morning, as we continue to think about what it means to live a lifestyle that is driven by Christ's great commission to His church, we need to think about what it means to love one another. We need to think about what it means to love Christ's people because Christ said that loving one another is essential to our success in disciple-making. In order to think about these things this morning, we want to look to John chapter 13. And to give you some context for our passage this morning, Jesus has just finished his last Passover meal with his disciples. He has just sent Judas out to contract the Jewish authorities uh, and in doing so, ultimately betray him over to them. And now he is gathered with those remaining 11 disciples and he is about to give, him, give them his last teaching before he goes to the cross. This teaching and prayer time extends all the way through John chapter 17. But this morning we begin with the first things that Jesus says after Judas leaves. We begin at verse 31. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May God bless the reading of his word. 
There's much that we could talk about from these verses, but this morning we want to confine ourselves to verses 34 and 35. And what we need to see is that if we are going to be successful in fulfilling the Great Commission, if we're going to be successful in making disciples from all nations, then we have to love one another. And we need to love one another not just how we think we should be loving one another, not just what we think are appropriate expressions of love, but we need to follow the example of Christ, the pattern that He has laid down for us in terms of loving one another. So if we were to summarize the message this morning in one sentence, it would be this, love Christ's people the way Christ loved them. Love Christ's people the way Christ loved them. And as we see that in these two verses, we want to see that doing this involves three things. First of all, we need to see that we should love in obedience to Christ. We should love in obedience to Christ. Whether it's in Bible college or seminary, whenever you are in your very first Greek class, learning to read the New Testament in the original languages, uh, almost always the first place the professor has you begin translating from the Greek is in the writings that John has done, usually in his letters, but also in his gospel. The reason why is because John writes with the simplest, easiest style in all the New Testament. It's, uh, it's, it's literally baby Greek, as it were. Not that somehow John was stupid. He just had a very plain and straightforward style. However, despite the fact that the grammar is easy, the depth and the intensity of the things that John says is sometimes mind-boggling. Think about what he says in his first letter to the church. God is love. Now, frankly, that's easy to translate, but it's not easy to ponder. God is love. Love. That's a very profound statement. Someone has said that it is that the theology that John presents presents it in such simple words that a toddler could wade around in it like a pool, and yet it is so deep in terms of the theology, an elephant could drown in it. Likewise, here, the same is true when Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Commenting on this, D.A. Carson says, The new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, yet profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Too often, I think, we think about Christianity as a kind of self-help religion. We are happy to be Christians. We are happy to be involved in Christianity as long as things are going well and I'm getting what I need. But the moment that doesn't happen. The moment things become uncomfortable for me, the moment I have to actually change my life, then, uh uh-oh, this is is not working for me anymore. I think I want to step back and and take a break from Christianity for a while. Or sometimes, even, even better yet, I think I just need to go over to this church over here for a while. What we need to understand is that we are a people as Christians. We are a people who follow one who is not just our leader, but he is our Lord. A Lord who has authority over all things. Jesus is just not like, he's not your, just your life coach helping you out along the way, giving you some good ideas about how to live. He is your Lord. He doesn't give advice. He doesn't give suggestions. He issues commands. And all the difference between him and other authorities is profound, though. And Jesus is not like any other Lord. He is not like any other authority figure in our life. And so our obedience to him is not just born out of a sense of duty. Our obedience to Christ 
It's not like obedience to anybody else. Not like an employee to an employer or a soldier to a commanding officer. Our obedience is not born out of a sense of duty. Instead, it is driven by love. He demonstrated his love for his people by going to the cross for them and bearing God's wrath against their sin for them. And our response to that is not slavish obedience out of fear, but love. Love that finds joy in obedience. Now, it may please some of you to know that I love my wife. I know that's not the norm today, but call me a nonconformist. I love my wife. And because I love my wife, I am willing to do things for her that, frankly, I may not be willing to do for you. Okay? I mean, that, that's the way it is. In fact, I may not really want to do them at all, but because she wants me to do them. Because I know it will bring her happiness. It will bring her joy. It will make her life better. That makes me want to do it. That, that causes me to find joy in, in fulfilling her needs and doing what she asks me to do. And if we translate that into our lives as Christians, we will find it to be uh, something very similar in our walk with God. Why do we obey Christ even when, especially when it's not easy, when it's difficult, when it's a task we don't really want to do? It's not going to be comfortable for us. We do it because we love Him. We love him and we long to show him that we love him. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, we say, oh, that's Christ's love language, obeying him. And so that's what we do. Not because we're afraid he's going to strike us with a lightning bolt or stop loving us, but because we love him. And here, right before he goes off to the cross, he says to show, to show His love in its fullness there. He issues this command to us. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're thinking that command doesn't sound all that new, Jesus. I mean, I think think I've, I've heard that before. In fact, I think the Bible talks a lot about love. When asked which of the commandments in all the Old Testament was the greatest, what did Jesus say? He said it involves love, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your mind, with all of your heart, with all of your soul and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what is Jesus doing? He's simply quoting two texts from the Old Testament, bringing them together. So in that sense, loving people is not a new idea. It's not a new idea. It's not a new command. It's a very old one. In fact, Paul will say the entire law is summarized in the command. To love your neighbor as yourself. So why does Jesus say this is a new commandment that he is giving them? It's new in this way. Jesus now becomes the standard by which we love one another. Before God had issued the command, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's fine. We do that. We understand that. But now Jesus comes and he says, don't just love your neighbor as yourself. You love them the way that I have loved you. Jesus himself now becomes the defining element, the example, the plumb line for how we are to love one another. More than that, this Christ-like love now becomes the defining characteristic for the people of God. It's no longer the temple. It's no longer the sacrifices. It's no longer the law. It's no longer circumcision. The thing that marks out God's people now in this new covenant is the fact that they love each other like Christ loved them. That's why this is new. 
So as the call of God's gracious election explodes outside the bounds of ethnic Israel and suddenly believers are gathered from every people on earth, we are not to remain divided by our cultural and ethnic backgrounds. Instead, we are to be united together as one people of God by the very thing that brought salvation to us in the first place, God's love. God's love supremely revealed at the cross, exemplified by Jesus. Therefore, this morning, as God's people saved by the outpouring of His love, we need to receive the essential response to Jesus' command here. Not just to those first disciples, but to all who would call upon Christ's name in saving faith. For all who would say, I am a Christian. It is essential for us then to follow Christ's command and to love one another even as he has loved us. And as we think about what that would look like practically, we need to think of the example that Christ himself gave us. Because ultimately that's what lies again at the heart of this command, isn't it? You love one another the way that I have loved you. So this is the second thing that we see this morning, and that is we are to love by the example of Christ. We are to love by the example of Christ. A new commandment I give to you, he says, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says that as his people, we are to look to the example of his own life to understand how we are to love each other. What kind of example did Jesus give? What kind of example of love for his people did Jesus show us? Well, if we had one word that we needed to use to summarize it, I think it would be sacrifice. Jesus displayed, more than anything else, a sacrificial love for his people. Certainly the cross stands at the center of all that Christ did in his incarnation. Christ's love for his people is summed up and embodied in his willingness to die for them. Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That is exactly what Jesus did. It was on the cross that Jesus died to secure our salvation from God's wrath against our sin. He took what we deserved so that we might be forgiven by God. That act of sacrificial redemption stood as the focal point of his life. Everything that he did was leading up to that moment of the cross. Therefore, the totality of his life was summed up as a man who sacrificed everything out of love for his friends. During his earthly life, Jesus sacrificed his glory. During his earthly life, out of love for his friends, he sacrificed his reputation he sacrificed his physical needs, things like hunger and comfort. He sacrificed wealth and safety, all out of love for his people. When I was in seminary, one of my professors taught the young married couples class at the church that Melinda and I went to. And uh, I remember this, this issue of, of love came up as we were actually talking, uh, teaching through John's gospel. And he said that he believed that when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians 13, as he was describing to the Corinthians what love looks like, he wasn't talking about love in the abstract. He wasn't just talking about love as some ideal thing. He was talking about love as exemplified in the life of Christ. And so he said, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, you see love is this, love is that, love is the other. He said, just take out the word love and put in the word Christ. So what does that sound like? It sounds like this. Christ is patient and kind. Christ does not envy or boast. Christ is not arrogant or rude. 
Christ does not insist on his own way. Christ is not irritable or resentful. Christ does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Christ bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the example that Christ left for his people. What does that mean? That means we go to the next step then and say, if that's how Christ lived and we're supposed to love each other as Christ loved his people, then I put my name in there now. And so I say, does this, does this sound accurate? John is patient and kind. John does not envy or boast. John is not arrogant or rude. John does not insist on his own way. John is not irritable or resentful. John does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. John bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I realize that is not a true statement. But it should be. It should be. And in fact, what we see is that by the power of God's Spirit, it can be a true statement. Do you remember the early chapters of Acts? The Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved. And here is what we read. The church, just days old, and the Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What happened? God came down, filled his people, and they started living like Jesus. They actually lived like Jesus. They actually followed his example. They actually sought to keep the new commandment that he gave his people. Unfortunately, I think that very often we don't, we don't live like that. One person has used this analogy. He says very often Christians live out their Christianity like they're playing blackjack. Now, I know many of you are out there good Christians, and you've never played blackjack. In fact, you really don't know what blackjack is because you're, you're, you're godly. So, but maybe you've seen it on television, okay? Maybe you've seen it on television, and you know that at blackjack, when you sit at the table, you don't, you don't play against anybody else except for the dealer. There may be 12 people sitting at that table. It doesn't matter a lick what's going on with them. It's just between you and the dealer. He flips his card over, and he flips your card over, and that's all that matters. You don't care if the person next to you wins. You don't care if they bust. It's between you and the dealer. And the individual said so very often, that's how we live out of Christianity. It's not what goes on with the person sitting next to me in the pew. It doesn't matter whether or not they're doing well with God. It, what matters is my personal relationship with the dealer, my personal relationship with God, and everything else, who cares? That's not what, that's not what God calls us to, is it? That's not the kind of Christianity that Jesus expects us to live out. Yes, we might pray for, so, for someone when bad things happen. But would we actually think of being in each other's homes on a daily basis, celebrating our common love in the Lord, making sure that we all had our needs met and provision was made for all of us? Would we ever consider calling someone up just to pray with them? Would we ever consider going so far as to giving them our extra car, which we don't need and they have none? Or perhaps selling one of our five televisions or to buy groceries for another believer who may not have the money to get some? You see, that's what the early Christians were doing, and that's the kind of sacrificial love that Christ embodied. They were fulfilling the new command in Christ. It is possible to live that way. 
And so we should be doing it as well. The question is, though, how do we do it? I mean, we, we look at that picture in Acts, and for no real reason other than our sin, we don't see that much today, do we? So the question is, how can we overcome our sinfully selfish hearts and actually live the way that Christ calls us to, live the way the early church often lived? How do we live out that kind of sacrificial love that Christ lived out for his people and he calls us to do it? Well, we follow Jesus' example again. In John 15, here's what Jesus said. Listen closely. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. What is He saying there? Jesus said, I was able to love the way that I did because I was close to the Father. I abided with Him. I loved Him. I obeyed Him. And as a result, I was able to love you the way that I did. So in other words, if we seek to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we will be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the good news and the bad news of this command. The bad news is we cannot and should not attempt to fool ourselves into thinking that we are really loving and really obeying God, that we really have a close, intimate relationship with Him if we're not showing love to other Christians. If we have no interest in being with God's people, if we have no desire to love them, then you need to back, back that up and say, guess what? My relationship with God is not where it should be. But the good news is this. If you find yourself in that way and you feel conviction for that, then the solution is simple. Love God. Spend time with God. Abide with God. And guess what happens? The natural result is we will love God's people. He will, he will transform our hearts. He will teach us. He will show us what that means. Jesus says, by this, that is, by loving one another as Jesus loved us, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we love in obedience to Christ. We love by the example of Christ. And then third, we also need to love as a witness to Christ. We love as a witness to Christ. Many times I hear testimonies from people who have loved their enemies and the result has been the gospel has gone forward. Someone has wronged them brutally and yet they turn the other cheek and they love them and it's opened a door for the gospel. Uh, sometimes it's, it's amazingly uh, profound displays of this kind of love as we are reminded several times of the missionaries who went to Ecuador to work among the then called Aka Indians and uh, the fact that though the men were all slain, several of the ladies and their kids stayed behind and continued to show love to that tribe to the point that the gospel broke out and virtually that entire people group became saturated with the gospel. An amazing display of loving your enemy even as Christ said. And we see it in so many smaller ways as well. But notice it's not loving your enemy that Jesus says will be the defining mark of his people. Yes, we should love our enemies. He says do not hate your enemies but love them and pray for them. But the thing that will really cause people to know we are different, the thing that will really grab the world's attention and cause them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are Christ's people is by loving one another as Christ loved us. By this, Jesus says, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important that we love one another with a kind of other-centered, sacrificial, Christ-like love? 
Because no one else does it, that's why. No one else does it. Think about it. In our society, our friends are mainly the people that we just naturally get along with. The people that we get closest to, the people that's easiest for us to love, are the people that look a lot like us, that have a lot in common with us. These are the people in your group. They have the same hobbies. They have the same interests. They like the same sports teams. They eat the same kind of food and watch the same kind of movies. Those kinds of people are easy to love. But what about the people that aren't in your group? They don't look like you. They don't act like you. They don't think like you. They don't eat the kind of food you eat. You find yourself uncomfortable around them because you seem to have so little in common. And your life seems to be moving in such a different direction. Those are the kind of people we find very difficult to love. An example of this this is, again, the church that we were at in Louisville. And there was a Korean church uh, that met in the afternoons after us. And sometimes when we would come back in the evening, uh, you see those Koreans in many ways loved each other more than we loved each other because every single week they would take the time to prepare food and bring it and fellowship with one another that day. That, that was what part of being the church was about. It wasn't about, oh, I've got this to do this day and I've got to get out of here and, and run this errand. It was, no, we're coming to gather as God's people and, and we're going to make a day of it. And as long as that takes, it's as long as it takes because we love one another. We love being around one another. We would come back that night, though, and sometimes the, the smell of the Korean food was still lingering in the church. Now, I happen to like Korean food, but guess what? There's a lot of people who don't like Korean food. And the comment was, it stinks in here. Why do they have to cook that food in here? Why do they have to mess our building up? You see what happened? As long as someone came with spaghetti... Or chicken, it was fine. We were, it, was, it was easy to love them. That's the kind of food we liked. But the minute someone, even though they claim to be a Christian, they claim to be the blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ, they had stinky food, so I don't want to be around them. It was hard to love them, even for something as simple as that. But God says, when it comes to my people, when it comes to my church, those things don't matter. You have been purchased by my son Christ. You have been purchased by my son Christ. I have shown love to both of you when you didn't deserve it. Therefore, you will love one another. And you will not just love one another in such a way that you tolerate one another, that you'll smile at one another in the hallway. You will love each other to the degree that Christ has loved you and gave himself up for you. That's the calling of God's son on our lives as our Lord. I have loved you. Therefore, you will love one another. One scholar reminds us what binds us together as Christians is not common education. It's not common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of the sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus and owe him a common allegiance. So if, Christ, so if the world would see something like Acts 2 today, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You're talking about Greeks and Jews, people that that despised each other out in the normal world setting, coming together and saying, I will gladly sell my extra togas so you have bread tomorrow. The world is going to look at that and say, are you out of your minds? Don't you know those Jews hate you? Don't you know those Gentiles hate you? Why are you sacrificing for them like that? doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. It's easy to love people like you. It's very difficult to love people that aren't like you. Maybe they'll see another example like the elders of Cornerstone Church in California who one day sat down and said, 
if we're really supposed to love each other, what is that going to look like for our culture? And they started by pulling their keys out of their pockets and started laying their, house, their spare house keys out. They said, if you need something, you just stop in. You have a key. Whether it's midnight or whether it's noon, you come in and you take what you need. You do what you want. And then they looked at each other and said, how much do you love me and my family? How much do you love my kids? Because even though we're in California, we have a lot of poor to take care of. And one of the elders looks at the other one and he says, brother, if anything happens to you, I will take care of your wife and kids as if they were my own. And he said, do you mean that? He said, yes, I mean that. And he said, fine, I'm canceling my life insurance policy so we can give more money to the poor. And another elder says it to another elder. Another, and, they, and the one guy joking says, now you know, if you're, if you're lying, God's going to get you for this, right? But the point was, they actually lived out what Christ told them to live out. They went above and beyond what is easy, what is acceptable, what is the norm, and they said, I really love you so much that I am willing to to put my whole life down for you. I'm willing to turn my life upside down and sacrifice in unbelievable ways to the world because Christ has called us to do that and I can do no other. When I look and see the sick, miserable, wretched sinner that I am now and that I was back then and that Christ still died for me, that that kind of love was shown to me, how can I not show love to you? How can we not come together despite whatever silly cultural differences there are and not pour out our lives into one another? You say, why is that selfless love so powerful and so attractive and so unbelievable? Because it is clear when we love each other that way, God is in our midst. He's the only explanation. And so 1 John 4, 11 says this, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. If we love one another as Christ loved us, then God abides with us. His presence is palpable in our midst. A lost world comes and sees us. They interact with us and they can feel God is there. And they say, what? I don't understand this. How can you love each other this way? And this is where the mission comes in. We simply say, because there is one who has loved me in an even greater way. And he's loved that person and that person and that person. And therefore, our lives are intertwined in a divine bond whereby I cannot help but love them as that one has loved me. This year's SBC Pastors Conference, Francis Chan, a pastor from Simi Valley in L.A. County, was speaking about this issue of loving each other in the church. And he told the story of a tough guy who got saved from the gang's through the ministry of their church, and he was fired up for a while. He was involved in things. He was coming, and then all of a sudden, he stopped. And someone saw him and talked to him, and he, he went to Pastor Chan, and he said, Hey, do you know why that guy stopped coming? And he said, No. He said, I, I don't know why. Well, why did he stop coming? And he said, The guy said this. Yeah, when I got saved, I just didn't understand the church. When I got baptized, I thought it was going to be like joining a gang. When I got jumped into the gang, I knew these guys were my family. They had my back 24-7. If I had to sleep on the street, they would sleep there with me. If someone was after me, they would protect me. And I thought that's what the church was going to be like, a group that was tight, where we always had each other's backs. I didn't realize that was only Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. How is it that a gang, a group centered around all that is sinful becomes a better picture of family than the church of Jesus Christ. It wasn't that man's understanding of the church that was wrong. The problem was the church's failure to fulfill the call of Christ and to love one another even as Christ loved us.
So we have to ask ourselves this morning, don't we, what kind of love are we showing for one another? Is it the kind of love the early church showed? Are we loving one another the way Christ has loved us? Are we loving each other to the degree that it is clear that God is with us? Is it clear that we are Christ's people? Because we love in such a way that people look at us and they see Him. Perhaps you cannot love that way because you've never embraced the love of Christ yourself. You've never, you've never turned from your sins You've never seen the cross as God's act of love and forgiveness towards you, and you never embraced that for salvation. You never saw Christ's death as the payment that causes God to be able to forgive you your sins. This morning, if you want to love that way, if you want to be part of a community that loves that way, then the call for you is to embrace Christ, to turn away from your sin, and to Him in faith, trusting Him to be the Savior that you need to make you right with God. The rest of us who find ourselves this morning as Christians, but who do not love other Christians the way that we should, the call for us is to first repent of our lovelessness. To repent of our lovelessness. And the call is then for us to earnestly seek God's face and to be reminding ourselves the love that He has shown us in Christ. And to the degree that we go hard after God and seek to love Him with all of our being, we, and we will find ourselves being transformed into those that love one another even as Christ has loved us. May that be our earnest prayer and desire for our lives because apart from that, we will be handicapped in our ability to make disciples of all nations. We will not be able to effectively fulfill Christ's great commission in this church. Father, as we come before you now, Lord, and we are reminded of the call to love one another, Father, we realize that for many of us, Father, there is a lot of work that must be done. And yet, Father, I pray that you would remind us that it is not an unreasonable request. It is not a work that is impossible for you. For Father, you have told us that to the degree that we love you and are close to you, abiding in your love, obeying your commands, that, Father, you will be at work transforming our lives. And part of that transformation will be the ability and the desire to love one another even as Christ has loved us. So, Father, I pray that you will do that work among us, that, Father, you will help us to feel the weight of this command to love one another. But Father, we would not obey it out of fear of you, but Father, we would obey the command because you have loved us. And so, Father, we desire to show our love for you by obeying you. Father, more than that, we desire to be able to reach our world for Christ, to make disciples of all nations. And Father, you have told us that essential to that mission is loving one another, loving Christ's people. And so may you do that work. May you lead us into that, God, in our lives and in this church. We ask all this in the name of our Savior. Amen.